Romans chapter 12. I am not put together here. Um, as we stand, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind raising your left hand and putting it behind the person that is next to you. And uh, yeah, just raise your hand. You don't have to put it on there because I, I want you to do this. I want you to slap them behind their head and say, wake up. The, the last place a guy wants to share is after people have lunch. So this is what you're going to feel if you fall asleep. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> one of the number one questions a pastor is asked is, what is God's will for my life? Have any of you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? Well, today we're going to see that God's will for our life is to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, hopefully by the time I'm done, we'll understand that. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, thank you for your word. And again, Lord, I pray that your word and the work of your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to a greater understanding for what your will is for our life. Because we know, Lord, when we are in your will is when we experience the greatest joy. And so bring us to that place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A living sacrifice. It's kind of a strange thing for us to hear today, right? A living sacrifice. But to the Jewish mind, they kind of would have understood. A living sacrifice would have seen in the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, they would have taken a living sacrifice. The priest would have taken it, and it would have taken its life and taken that blood. And through that blood offering would have given you a forgiveness of sins. So that was the sin offering. There was another offering called the thank offering. And the thank offering was when you would take unleavened bread and and frankincense and myrrh and um, oil, and you would blend it together and you would bake the bread. It was a thank offering. I don't know if any of you have ever been to the South in the United States of America, um, my daughter-in-law is from Nashville, Tennessee, for, so we get to go there every Christmas. And the f- as soon as I get off the plane, I mean, literally, as soon as I get off the plane, we go to Jim and Nick's Barbecue. You walk into this place, and you can smell the barbecue from about a mile away. You know, <gasps> we're getting closer, we're getting closer. But surprisingly, it's not the barbecue that draws you in. It's the biscuits. They make these cheese biscuits that are off the chain. And, I mean, it's ridiculous. But when you walk in to that room, into that restaurant, and you sit down and you start to chow down, you smell this wonderful aroma of the barbecue and the biscuits. And I've thought about that. I'm like, that would have been a cool place to be in the book of Leviticus. It would have been like a barbecue, you know, the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, that 
beautiful celebration in which we talked a little bit about before. But the thank offering was something that was, when you baked the bread, it said in Leviticus, it was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. You see, a living sacrifice is to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord and to one another. So how do we, as believers, become a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord and to others? And as I was thinking about Paul in writing the book of Romans, we here are now in the 12th chapter, and so it's like the crescendo of the book of Romans. Paul has been talking about sin and how we're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God, but God loved us so much, even when we were sinners. Christ Jesus died for our sins, and you can feel the, the, um, the excitement raising through the book of Romans, and you get to Romans chapter 8, and it says, therefore now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and he's getting more, and he gets into chapter 11, and he's talking about the marvelous mercies of God, and he comes to Romans chapter 12, 12 and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I encourage you therefore, brethren and sistren, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is happening here in Paul's life is what we would known would be known as praise. That word praise, you can, you can say it means thanksgiving. And when we think about praise, this is where Paul was when he comes to that place. The word praise is a joyful assessment of all as, uh, that God has done for us. That's what praise is. It's that thank offering. We see the words praise the Lord over 200 times in the Bible. And we see them praising not only with singing, but with dancing and joyful uh, um, excitement throughout the praise. And so I can almost see Paul come to this place, dancing around, singing out to the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's got this passion, as John was sharing about, how we need that same type of passion to, to, to share and to encourage people to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, Paul was so thankful for what God had done for them. And this is what God would want for us. So Paul was motivated by the mercies of God. Are we motivated by the mercies of God? Yeah, one person out of all of us. We're on our way. Can I get one more? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's better. Yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so we see that he, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That word present means to set your mind to do something. How many of, how many of you are married? Or should, should I say how many of all you all are married? That's how they say it in the South. All y'all, there's a lot of all y'alls that have been married here. When you stood up at the altar and you exchanged those vows and you came to that place, you made a stand that we are married and there's nothing going to separate us. There's nothing. It's a once and for all thing. We all did that. We're married, right? Paul's saying that's what it means to present yourself, that you're all in, baby. You are, you are stepping in. You're saying, all in all, there's nothing that's going to separate me from you, Lord, and I'm going to present my body to you. 
but why the body? Here we go with the body again, as we were talking about last night. God gave us a body for, for a purpose. So as we look to this purpose, why don't we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we see the purpose of our bodies. Now, before we trusted in Christ, what did we do with our bodies? We, yeah, we sinned. We did what we want. We did what brought us pleasure for our bodies. Well, now God is saying, hey, that same pleasure that you pleasured yourself with your body, now I want you to use that same excitement, that same joy, and I want you to please the Lord by presenting your body. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? I'm going to read that one more time. And you are not your own. Why? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I love how the Holy Spirit works. John had on his heart to share Haggai about an hour before we got here. And he's talking about the glory of God. And here God brings that full circle again and reminds us that God has given us these bodies to bring glory to him. And we do that by offering our bodies, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. He doesn't want some of you. He doesn't want most of you. He wants all of you. And that's why I love that he uses the word body because our bodies contain everything else there is in us. Our minds, our soul, our spirit. It's all of us. God wants us all, and he doesn't want 80% or 90%. He wants 100% of all of us to present ourselves to him. When I think about that, we talked a little bit last night of how God created us in his image and his likeness, and he created us to be creative and communicative, and we talked about that he did that so we might have communion with him. But his purpose behind that was to commission us to send us out into the world to bring glory to him. And the way that we do that is by being a living sacrifice. When he saw Adam and Eve in the garden, he blessed them. And what did he say to them? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's so interesting that, you know, we people have gotten it down. We can, we can have babies. We got that down good, right? The world is multiplying. We're fulfilling it. But are we subduing the world? That word subdue is a military term, which means to take over. So are we as Christians bringing so much glory to God because we're taking over the world? And how do we take over the world? Some might say it's a military term. So do we use bazookas and machine guns? And no, we have something so much more powerful. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says that we are empty vessels or broken vessels filled with what? The power of God. You see, when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives in such a powerful way, we will take control of the world. That's when revival happens, as John was talking about. That's where revival happens. When we're singularly focused, we have oneness, as Brent was sharing. We have that oneness. When we're focused in on those things is when we offer our bodies as that living sacrifice. And Paul says this about that. He says, this is, our holy, this is holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Now, that's the King James 
version. Another version says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I like that translation better. Service is definitely a part of worship. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice in service to the Lord, but also in worship to the Lord. I don't know. I think maybe our cultures in in America and maybe in Canada, too, have lost its idea of what true worship is. Many Christians believe that worship is that time that that guy gets up or that gal gets up and they sing a few songs before that guy, the other guy gets up and opens the Bibles and bores us together for 30 minutes, you know? That's where a lot of people think worship is. It's the music portion of it. And though music is, is expressed in worship, that's not true worship. Worship. Praise is different from worship. Worship comes from a different place in our spirits. This is what Jesus said. You must worship your Lord, your God, and serve only him. So when we come in and we start to sing praise music, it should lead us into this place of worship, only him. Do you know how it hurts the heart of a a spirit-filled believer when when you hear the words, oh, the worship wasn't very good today. Have you ever heard that? Like, oh, yeah, that gets... That gal's not very talented or whatever, because we look at it from that perspective. That's not worship. I love what one person wrote, and this is so great. If you really like it, I'll take credit for it. If you don't, it's somebody else wrote it. But this is really good. Worship is the art of losing self in the adoration of another. Praise can be a part of worship, but worship goes beyond just praise. Praise is easy. Worship is not. Worship gets to the heart of who we are. To truly worship God, we must let go of self-worship. We must be willing to humble ourselves and adore him for who he is, not just what he has done. Worship is a lifestyle, not just an occasional activity. True worship is when the spirit of man and the spirit of God align deep down in the heart, causing self-surrender to God. I, I, every time I read that quote, I'm reminded of a time we were doing a pastor's conference in uh, Cambodia. And uh, we got to Cambodia, and it's a pastor's conference for Vietnamese pastors doing ministry in Cambodia. So the Vietnamese pastors were, are very poor. They, leave on, they live on the Mekong River down by the border. They don't have electricity. They don't have sewage. They're just houses on stilt on the Mekong border. And so these pastors are pastoring these little village churches, wanted to be, learn how to teach the Bible. So me and three other guys went down there, three other pastors, and, and we, we had about 12 of them come. And we had a conference center down there we were meeting in, and it was it was just a regular room. Um, Cambodia gets hot. If you don't know that, it gets hot. I mean, like really hot. And so we're in this room and it's hot. I mean, it's really hot. And there's just fans blowing, you know, and, and they're sitting on the floor. They're not even wanting to sit in the chair. They're just sitting on the floor, all 12 of them. And they, they were listening to me and three other guys teach them how to teach the Bible for six hours a day for five days on the floor. No worship music. And they're just sitting there the whole time with these big smiles on their faces, like they're just soaking in God's word. It was so, so amazing. But the thing that really amazed me about day four, one of the pastors comes up 
by the way, we're having to teach through a translator because they don't speak English. And so it's from our voice to another voice, and they're still excited about God's word. Just amazing. And so they sit there, and he goes, we, we want to do worship for you guys. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking that would be cool, you know, some like tribal worship, you know, I'm picturing like maybe one of those mouth harps and a, I mean, I don't know what to expect. And so they come in the next morning, you know what they have? No instruments. They come in and they, they get down on their knees on the floor as they had been every single day and they start singing. And as they're singing, I'm thinking, man, they are really off key. I mean, oh, goodness gracious. And then I'm like, their timing is really off. They're one clapping here and one clapping there. And I'm like, man, this is, this is amazing. I'm sitting there and I'm watching them and tears rolling down their eyes. And they're like bowing down and raising up and they're worshiping God. And all of a sudden I catch myself going, this is worship. This is what it should look like. It's not about the talent of the musician. It's about the tremendous work of what Jesus has done, bringing us to that place of, man, I'm good with whatever. Man, our worship time together should be that so impassioned and so passionate about what God has done and seeing the looks on their faces. And what hit me was it was a Hebrew idiom that was given to, and I'm going to misquote it, but this is the general idea, that worship is when you fall down to the ground, your face to the ground, and you raise up throwing kisses to God. And man, that picture is forever ingrained in my mind. These 12 men, I remember coming back to my church, which we have a great worship team. I mean, oh my goodness, they're so good. And, and I come back and, and I, I go, I went down there to teach them how to teach the Bible. And I came home with them teaching me how to live the Bible. You see, there's a big difference here. We have great worship. Um, Joel? I got it right. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. <laughs> or Brent. So Joel had this great worship, and we're, we're there. Our hearts are open. We're receiving it. That's what true worship is. When we present our bodies, our, our bodies, our mind, our soul, our strength, when we present everything to God is when we begin to live those living as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable worship. Now, he goes on in verse 2, and he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the perfect will of God is that we would be living sacrifices, being a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord wherever we may go, especially at church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but even in our workplaces. I, I don't know if anybody's ever thought about this, but you know when God created Adam, that the very first place that God put Adam to worship him was in the workplace. That's where God's intention was. The workplace would be our place of worship, a dependence on God. How, why is that different now? It shouldn't be, right? That doesn't mean you have to go into to work and start handing out tracts or anything. No, just go in, surrender to God, and people are going to go, what's up with that person? You, I'm a living sacrifice. Man, that sweet smell and aroma, that's Christ in me. 
That's the witness that we are to be uh, leaving. So he tells us two things here. He tells us something that is so important. He says, do not conform to the philosophies of this world. Man, this is so important. It's one of those things that we fall into in our cultures, the philosophies of this world, pragmatism and hedonism and all the isms under the sun that Solomon talks about. All of them will leave you with a gnawing sense of emptiness, as Solomon would say. It's only the above the sun perspective that can bring us peace and joy and help us to be a living sacrifice. One person said it very well. The problem of a living sacrifice is that it has the ability to crawl off the altar. This is where it gets difficult for us. Imagine yourself saying, okay, I'm going to crawl up on the altar. I'm giving myself fully to the Lord. I'm giving him my body, my heart, my mind, my soul, and I'm going to lay on the altar, and I'm going to be looking straight up into heaven. And then all of a sudden, you hear something, or you think about something, you turn left, or you turn right. And then all of a sudden, the allure of the world causes you to crawl off the altar. And that's when we conform to the things of this world. That's why we have to be singularly focused. We have to be busy of one thing, as Brent was talking about this morning, having one thing in mind, and that is to be focused on him. To present your mind means to have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, down in verse 16, or verses 14 through 16, he says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We are no longer natural beings. We've been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. You know what that means? We literally have no rights. Well, we have one right. You know what we have a right to do? To present our bodies as living sacrifices. That's our right. All the other rights are washed away. We think about, oh, we have the right to do this or right to do that. Those rights are actually keeping us in bondage. When we are freed to live the way that Christ wants us to live is when we experience the greatest freedom. And so when we have the mind of Christ, what do we need to have the mind of Christ? We need to have the word of God. That's why I'm so thankful for men like... uh, Matt and Brent and Michael and um, Marlon and John and me that are are studying and teaching the word of God. We're not up here telling you our philosophy in regards to the word of God. We're telling you the word of God that you too might have the mind of Christ, that you might uh, cipher every decision that you make in life through uh, the lens of God's word, that we would understand those things. Having the mind of Christ is something pretty amazing. It transforms you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes this. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as Paul says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, yes, Christianity, we're to use our minds. We're to put on the mind of Christ that we would be transformed. Now, what's amazing about the word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that word transformed, we all know as metamorphosis. It's, it's a process of something changing from the inside out. But did you know that the word is only used three times in the New Testament and two of the times, or this is one of the time, the other two times is in the same story. So let's turn there to Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew 17, we see the transfiguration of Jesus. And I just want to read verses one through eight for you so you can see um, the transformation in Jesus's life and what that transformation should look like in our own lives. It says in verse one, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, brought them up on a high mountain by themselves and was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, taking with them, or talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So you can see that the disciples are like, dude, what's going on here, right? Then he says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is worship. Man, they saw Jesus in his transformed body with Elijah and Moses. And they're like, what is going on? We, we got to build something. And Jesus is like, <coughs> don't build anything. And then all of a sudden, what do they hear? A voice from heaven. God the Father saying, this is my son who I am well pleased. They heard God. They listened to God. They had the mind of Christ and they fell on their faces in worship. You see, this is what, what it should do for us. And they lifted their eyes, and they saw no one but Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can tear the veil that separates us. Only Jesus can transform the heart of carnal man. Only Jesus can help us to be that living sacrifice that would be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. This transfiguration of Jesus is an example of what begins to happen to us when we are transformed by God. The person we once were is gone. Those who knew us before see a radical change. Those who um, once 
Our new selves reflects Jesus, a man set apart from the world, and we can't help but clash with the culture. If you feel uncomfortable living in this world, good. You should be uncomfortable. If you're comfortable, well, you need to present your body as a living sacrifice because we shouldn't be comfortable. This world is an uncomfortable place. We're sojourners. We're foreigners. We don't belong here. Our citizenship is in heaven. But while we're here, let's bring glory to God by being, by being that living sacrifice, that sweet-smelling aroma to him. This transformation doesn't happen from the outside. It can only happen from the inside. This is what a living sacrifice, this is what proves, what proof is the, that good and perfect will of God. This is God's will for you. Now, is it just having the mind of Christ that can do this? Does just having the mind, just the word of God, powerful enough to, to transform a person? The answer is no. So turn with me to a, <coughs> excuse me, to 1 Corinthians, <coughs> as I'm, yeah, John, could you throw me that water right there? <laughs> you didn't trust me. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> you know what? Don't turn there. <laughs> turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry. <laughs> I got choked up. Literally. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. Talking about the perfect will of God, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but under understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I love this passage because he's telling us that, hey, if you're going to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and you want to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Don't conform to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you must walk circumspectly. In other words, you must walk carefully. One night, my um, wife and I were sitting on my couch. This is years ago. We're sitting on our couch, and we're just talking. And all of a sudden, our cat, um, Tonio, which has gone to be with the Lord, I like to think, <laughs> jumps up on our couch, onto the arm of our couch, then jumps up onto our fireplace mantle, and he, and he sits down, and he looks down the mantle. And on our mantle, we have picture frames and little knickknacks, you know, and that sort of thing. And he looks there, and he gets up, and he starts to walk down the mantle in between the picture frames, and all, and he's doing it so carefully, you know, circumspectly, and he gets to the end. He sits down, and then he looks back. We had a big screen TV. Remember the big screen TVs used to be really wide? <laughs> so he jumps off the fireplace mantle onto the big screen TV, sits down, and turns around, looks at us, and goes, 
okay, maybe that wasn't true, but you could tell he was very proud of his accomplishment. You see, this is what it is to walk circumspectly. There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of things out in the world that we have to be careful of, and we have to, we have to, we're going to be meandering in between them, but not to, not to, not to take them with us, but to just pass by. And it's only through the help of the Holy Spirit can we do those things. When we have the mind of Christ, we're walking circumspectly. And when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we can get around all those things. That cat did not knock one thing over. It just amazes me. That showed me just such great hope that we can have in that regard. So he says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes off into not being drunk. He says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite verses, people use this as, see, you shouldn't drink or you shouldn't be drunk. But he's not using this as a contrast. He's using it as a comparison. People today, what do they do to have joy? They get drunk. It was funny when, when uh, Matt was telling me that they were meeting in a nightclub and Brent and I were, were talking about this earlier, too, about drinking or not drinking. I just shared with him that I don't drink anymore. I haven't had a drink since uh, 1994. And, and, you know, I just said, I don't have a problem with people want to have a glass of wine or do whatever they want to do. But I said, for me, I just don't. And I said, if I did, I would be that guy. What guy? The guy dancing on the tables. <laughs> that was the old Jeff before he got born again. I mean, I like to drink and I like to dance. And so the two of those things are together. So you don't want to see that. <laughs> Say, no, we don't want to see that. <laughs> so what happens, that's what dissipation is. When we drink to become drunk, we do things that we would not normally do. And so he says, don't don't be drunk on wine, which leads to dissipation. Now, when you are drunk, and I can tell that none of you have ever had a drink here, but when you are, it lowers your inhibitions. You don't have fear. You're not anxious. That's why people drink. It takes away all of those things, right? And, and so he's using that as a comparison of saying, hey, that same feeling of joy, because wine to the Jew is always symbolic with joy, that same sort of joy you have when being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that how the, the grammar in this, the Greek grammar that's being used, means to be continually and always filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time filling. It's an all-the-time filling. It's when we say, I am presenting my body as a living sacrifice. I'm saying it in my mind. You have my whole Heart, Lord, I'm not going to be conformed to the things of the world. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. The Holy Spirit says, okay, walk circumspectly, walk carefully, and I'm going to fill you with the power of God. And look at the results. The results of being filled with the Spirit is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. What is this? This is praise and worship. How are we to speak to one another? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you could, you could teach a whole study on the, dividing these things up, but I'll just suffice, say, say this in regards to that. This is the attitude of the heart that is filled with the power and the Holy Spirit of God. That is the attitude. How do you know when you are sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord? Well, you walk into the room and you're like, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You have a melody in your heart. There's just such great joy. I was on my way to um, uh, a city called Torrance, California. This is before I was a pastor, many years before I owned a packaging company. And one of my, my largest com- com- customers was a company called Jesse Lord Pies. They made 18 million pies a year. It was a big factory. But on, on Wednesday mornings, all the bakers would get together and they'd try out new recipes. Guess what day I had a meeting with a buyer every week? <laughs> Wednesday mornings, I'd go straight back to the bakery, load up on the pastries and all those things. And, but one day, I had, before becoming a Christian, I had had some business dealings with the buyer here that were not good. And so I had to put an end to it. The Lord convicted me. He said, you have to change this situation. I want you to be obedient. I want you to be careful. Don't worry. I'm going to fill you with the power of God. And I'm like, okay, Lord. So I'm driving out, and I'm a little bit anxious because about what I'm about to tell this person is likely going to lose a huge portion of my income. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. So I walk into the office, and I said, you know, her name was Mickey. Her and her husband were very close friends after 20 years of doing business with them. And I just said, you know, I, I, I haven't told you this, but about a year ago, I became a Christian. And I've been continuing to have this relationship with you, this business relationship with you that is unethical. And I have to stop it. All of a sudden, there's a tear rolling down her eye. And I'm like, oh, boy. I've really hurt them. How are they going to do it? You know what she says to me? She goes, this is unbelievable. Greg and I went to church yesterday, or two days ago, for the first time in 20 years. And the Lord put on my heart not to be taking this money from you anymore. And... I just was sitting there like, I see, I got goosebumps again. (laughs) Going, Lord, you are amazing. When we are living sacrifices, Lord, I'm yours. I've given up all my rights. I trust you, Lord. I know what you're showing me to do. I must do it. So I'm going to walk carefully, and you're going to fill me with the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to do miraculous things. And that's what he does. And to see now that they're walking with the Lord because of what God did through me and through her, and how this is how the Lord wants to work. I walked out of that place. I walked into that place singing psalms. I had a melody in my heart. I knew that God was going to do well. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he says giving thanks always for all thanks, what, what do you, he, he's not serious about that, right? Are we to give thanks when things are going bad? What? What are you guys crazy up here in Canada? Are you Canada people nuts? (laughs) Right? We look at things like this and we go, are you kidding? All things, Lord? Yes. Paul writes in Romans that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Hey, you know what? God is faithful. We can trust him. And we can be obedient to him. We can give ourselves entirely to him and say, Lord, have your way in me. And then the last thing he says is submitting to one another in the fear of God. Another translation says submitting to one another in the reverence of Christ. The word submit simply means just to come under the control or under the authority of someone else. So often we think, I need to come under the authority of my pastor or of my boss or all those things, and those are certainly true. But have you ever thought about coming under 
the control of someone else, submitting to someone else. Why? Why is that so important? Well, he puts that last part on there to show us that it's in reverence to Christ. Christ humbly submitted himself to the Father, and he came to earth in the form of a human body as a baby in Bethlehem. He humbled himself, Philippians tells us. He humbled himself. Even though he was God, he became like man to be an example to you and I how we are to come under and to help others, not standing up for our rights. This is not about being right and wrong. It is about winning people to Christ. It's about being that sweet-smelling aroma to others. I can tell you without any uncertainty, if there's conflict between you and someone else right now, I can tell you without any uncertainty, you go to them in humility and willing to submit to hear what they have to say and to receive what they have to say and then extend peace to them and forgiveness to them. You know what's going to happen? Man, you're going to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. That's exactly what the living sacrifice is. I've given up my rights. Lord, I'm yours. Have your way with me. Now, to do this, we need the word of God, the mind of Christ, and we need the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So often we think, well, I know the word, and the word is great, but the word without the Holy Spirit are just words. They're good words, and they can change your life for a time. But when you put the word of God together and the work of the Holy Spirit together and they collide in your heart, that's when life really begins to live. So what I want to do today as we close is I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And so maybe, uh, Joel, maybe you can come up and um, start doing music. But before we do that, as he's coming up, and I'm going to just have him play a little bit, this is, this is what, what we need to do. I don't know where you stand right now, but I know that you're human beings like me, and all of us are sinners. The only thing that separates us from God is our sin. And the sin that might be separating us from God right now is pride. It's saying, you know what? I'm right in this. I know I'm right. And you might be right. But God wants us to come to that place of saying, I'm going to give you all my rights. I'm going to confess my sin to you. He's just and he's faithful to wash you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, reconnecting you. So maybe there's somebody you're having a conflict with. Maybe, maybe there's just conflict in your own heart today. You know, I, I know that's a big thing for me. I don't have a problem with a lot of people, but I have a lot of problems in myself. And just coming to the Lord and say, Lord, take this from me. Empty me of me and fill me with you. So let's just take a few minutes on your own and just pray that. And then I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us.